Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I share my recent interview with Dr. Benjamin Ritter on the Live For Yourself Revolution podcast, where we talk about lifelong learning. We have Jonathan Westover. Today, we dive into his background, his lifelong pursuit of education, his achievement-oriented and solutions-driven personality, and really try to unearth how he has been able to achieve everything that he has. He is the academic director of the Center of Social Impact and the chair of organizational leadership development at the Utah Valley University. He is the founder of Human Capital Innovations, a consultancy focused on leadership development, organizational leadership, and that has led to podcasts and magazines and just a bunch of really cool stuff. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the show. I'm pumped to have you being my guest this time because I was recently on your show. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I'm really excited to continue the conversation with you and, and to have a really nice dialogue. Yeah. So is it Jonathan, John, Big J, JW, uh, well, Mr. Well, Westover? You can, you can call me Big J if you want. Um, no, John is good. I actually, I once had a group of students, this was years ago now, but I had a group of students who decided um, that it would be fun to call me Kanye Westbeard. Um, and for some reason that name stuck for that year and that year alone. And then the students left, they graduated. And so nobody says that anymore, but that's probably the most unique nickname that I've ever had is Kanye Westbeard. And we all know Kanye is quite the character. So do we have some hidden musical talents that I don't know about? Um, I don't think the nickname had anything to do with that. I do. I play the guitar a little bit. I sing, um, but uh but I think my, my students were just being weird, really. It must be uh, like the, what's it called? The, what is the cup that Indiana Jones is searching for? The Holy Grail. The Holy Grail. So it must be the Holy Grail to be surrounded by youth <laughs> and to have that energy. Do you, is it like, do you become a, a youth vampire? Like, how does that work? How, th- is it, is it actually energizing and inspiring to be around? It, it is definitely inspiring and energizing. And, and I think, you know, this year because of COVID, it's a little different, but, but uh, the start of fall semester at the university is always my favorite because there's just so much energy on campus and, and people are so excited. You have the new freshmen coming in, you have other people returning from summer internships, all excited and getting close to graduation. You have a faculty who are rejuvenated because they didn't, you know, they had some time over the summer to take a break. 
And it's just, it's just a really nice environment. I really like it. Now this fall, it's a little different. You know, we, at, at my university, we're, we're probably about 20% of the courses are in person, but the rest is online. And so the, the number of people on the physical campus is much smaller and you just don't, you know, there's not as many people walking through the hallways and, you know, all the social distancing and people wearing masks. And, and so it's just a, a different dynamic for sure. Uh, but yeah, I love being around the students and they're definitely energizing. I'm curious to see how that evolves and how that impacts teachers, not just students. Because if what you truly valued was impacting the people around you and you make, maybe can't see or feel that impact, how does that, how does that change your levels of happiness towards work? More, yeah, it's, more def to it's definitely an adjustment, you know, for me from the, the professorial side, you know, and, and there's lots of things I love about my work that really hasn't changed and it doesn't really matter if I'm on campus or I'm working from home, it's just kind of the same work. Um, but that student connection piece, like being physically with the students and feeling in, 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 thriving on that energy, that is definitely different. I mean, even now when I do, you know, we'll do stuff online and a lot of it's asynchronous um, and the students are just kind of logging in and I built stuff in our LMS platform for them to do learning activities and assignments and stuff. Um, but we'll still do synchronous things and we'll, we'll do, you know, Zoom calls or at, at my university, we use uh, Microsoft Teams. And so we'll have that live interactive element but we're not in the same room. And so it's, it is different, um, even though there are a lot of good things we can still do with the technology. So I don't know, I think, I think things will continue to evolve in higher ed and it'll be interesting, interesting to see how that moves forward. Okay, so we've hinted a little bit about your background, but can you give more of an introduction to our audience? Yeah, um, so I am one of those Kind of eternal students. Um, I loved, you know, I, I just fit well in the university space. Um, I, I was a, like a super um, senior. Uh, I, I graduated with my undergrad with 170 credits, you know, which is 50 more than the required number of credits. <laughs> so I switched majors a bunch of times and I just loved being a student. And then I went on, you know, to grad school and I did a master's degree. And then I went on and did another master's degree in my PhD. And, you know, so I was in school for a really long time and now I'm a professor and I'm still in school. Um, and I just love that environment. So it, it, it was well suited to me. Um, I was originally, um, you know, I kind of switched between math and business and accounting. Um, I wanted to do HR as a major, as an undergrad, my university didn't have it. And so I ended up doing um, sociology and with minors in Korean and business. And then I went on to my master's program. I got a master's in public administration and uh, an emphasis in organizational behavior and human resource management there. And then I went on for my PhD, another master's and my PhD and a couple of graduate certificates um, in sociology, demography, the PhDs in sociology, work in organizations emphasis, um, uh, demography graduate certificate, um, a, a higher ed teaching graduate certificate, uh, a master's degree uh, in sociology. And, um, and all of that, you know, took me towards doing research around comparative international sociological studies and work in organizations and the experience of employees in the workforce uh, cross-nationally. 
and and now I'm uh, a full-time professor, a tenured professor at Utah Valley University, where I've been for 11 years um, teaching organizational leadership, organizational development and change management, HR, ethical decision-making, those sorts of courses. Um, the department chair in my department, I have about 15 full-time um, faculty that I um, lead and about 35 part-time faculty. Um, we're the biggest business school in the state and uh, we're the largest university in the state. So there's lots of interesting, fun um, challenges associated with size and growth and those sorts of things, but it's, it's a good place to be, um, particularly when a lot of higher ed institutions across the country are facing, you know, the opposite challenge, you know, where they're in decline, um, uh, decreasing enrollments, budget cuts, uh, those sorts of things. We, we just continue, you know, since I've been at my university, there were a couple years where we had a small dip, but otherwise it's pretty much been like 5% growth annually in terms of enrollments, um, which, you know, helps with the budget. And anyways, we do, we do lots of cool stuff. And you also have a few extracurriculars that you work on. And by the way, if I had that many degrees, I would need to write them down and read them as someone asked me what I went to school for. <laughs> I am in trouble just keeping the ones that I've done so far in check. So I can imagine when someone's like, what did you go to school for? It's like, okay, do you want like the one second version or do you want to sit down and have a cup of coffee? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I, I hope I don't sound too pretentious as I'm listing things off. I just want to help people understand what my background is. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I did, I enjoyed school. And, and uh, I, I also, you know, felt like while I'm in school, I'm going to try to maximize the opportunities I have. Um, you, you know, even though I did graduate with 170 credits uh, from my undergrad, I still graduated in four years. So I just took tons of credits <laughs> and, and then, you know, going, going through like my, my PhD program, you know, I just decided, Hey, I, I really enjoy these things. So I did these extra graduate certificates um, while I was going through my normal program, just because it was, you know, I thought it'd be useful and there were interesting topics and I was doing research that was connected and, you know, so I, I'm a big believer in just maximizing the opportunities that are in front of me. And uh, that's resulted in, in, you know, kind of my, resume of, of degrees. Yeah. And so then what's led you to launch your podcasts and I'm a journal now, and I'm not sure what else you're working on or if you'd like to share about that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned extracurriculars. <clears throat> um, I'll, I'll actually mention, <clears throat> excuse me, one other thing that I do on my campus. I'm the, the academic director of our center for social impact. That's something I'm very passionate about. And that goes back to my sociological roots um, are there four of you? Like how many, <laughs> how do you, <laughs> you um, figure it out? You're going to have to give us some tips on productivity today as well. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't know if I have the answer for that, but, um, but yeah, so that's something I'm passionate about though. And it's, it's a lot of fun. We do some really cool work. So if anyone out there is listening and they're like, you, you're interested, look at, look up Utah Valley university in Orem, Utah, look up the, the organizational leadership department, look up the center for social impact. You'll see some of the types of stuff that we're doing. Um, in terms of extracurriculars, I, I, for the last 13 years, I, I run um, a small consulting firm called Human Capital Innovations, um, and that's ebbed and flowed over time. You know, sometimes I put more time and effort into it than others. 
lately, um, I've been putting a lot more time into it just because I feel like I had more time um, during this whole COVID moment. You know, I, I, I've really just been going gangbusters on um, developing content related to the consulting work. Um, I have a really great team of people that have also been contributing um, some content and also, you know, help to, to flesh out the, the consulting teams when we go and work with organizations. Um, but some of those, those extracurriculars that we've been doing in, related, in relation to creating content is the launch of the podcast, um, the Human Capital Innovations podcast, which is now, I think we've published something like 180 or more episodes, um, which is kind of insane when I think about it because, because it, it just started, you know, like five months ago. Um, but we've just been going like crazy and inter I've been inter interviewing so many people, in super interesting people. And, uh, and, and I, I think that's been, you know, a good resource for, for individuals and in leadership positions. Um, at least that's the goal. And it seems like it's, it's been gaining some pretty good traction. Um, we also just launched the, the human capital leadership magazine. Uh, our first issue was in August and we'll be, that'll be a quarterly, uh, magazine practitioner oriented. So it's, it's short articles, usually 500 to 2000 words. Uh, in addition to some other kind of research and uh, summary of research and those sorts of things. Um, the idea being that someone, you know, a, a leader, a, a manager, an executive could pick it up, um, thumb through it and, and gain some real practical tips on how to improve their work with their people like immediately, like that day, what are some things that they could start doing? Uh, so we want to distill down, you know, some of the research that I do, but put into real practical um, digestible chunks, you know, uh, that, that people can then utilize. So that's the idea behind the magazine. And, and, uh, that just came out of really over the summer, you know, we were developing all this really great content. I had this great team of people contributing content. And we, at, at one point we were having a meeting and someone just threw out the idea, why don't we do a magazine? I'm like, yeah, we could do an e-magazine, no problem. <laughs> and so we just, like we decided that day, let's just do it. And we did. And, and, uh, it, it was a really fun creative project to like go through the whole process of figuring out, you know, what to include and how to design it. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I don't normally do that much of, but, um, but it was, that was quite energizing, uh, and quite fun to, to just stretch my creative brain a bit and, and work on some of those elements. I see a lot of similar threads between where you're investing your time and the things that I think you invest more of your time in at certain times. And I'm curious to, to what you know, molds that decision of, well, now I want to invest time here and maybe now I want to invest time here. But prior to that, what does living for yourself mean for you today? Because it sounds like there are a few different things where you are investing your time and it kind of plays into that. Well, how do you make that decision? Yeah. Interesting question. Living for myself. Uh, and I have to admit, you know, that's perhaps something I struggle with. I, I, I think we talked about it before when I interviewed you, um, for my podcast, but you know, I have a large family. I'm married. I have six children, um, uh, ages, let's see, seven through 16. And so we have a busy household, you know, and, and my kids are all doing stuff and my wife and I are both busy doing stuff. And, and just juggling all those sorts of things. And I have to admit, sometimes when I'm thinking about living for myself and for my dreams, my passions, 
um, I, my default is to kind of subordinate my my desires, you know, and what I what I want for myself to my family, and you know, what's you know, what does my wife need? What do my kids need? Um, and and that really is my number one priority. And I guess in a way that is living for myself because that's my top priority. You know, I want I want my family to be happy and healthy and and feel loved and, and all those sorts of things. That's that's my number one priority. Um, but I do have these other professional <clears throat> passions and you know interests and those sorts of things that I want to you know feel fulfilled in, and I want to be able to um, do that kind of work. And in large part, that's why I chose, you know, I went the career path that I went. Um, early on, you know, when I was in the process of switching majors a bunch of times as an undergrad, you know, uh, one of the, the, the main reason why I landed where I landed <clears throat> is because I was starting to learn about myself that this is the kind of life I wanted to have. And I wouldn't be able to have this kind of life if I had gone one, down one of those other paths. So for example, uh, had I continued down the accounting path, um, nothing wrong with being an accountant. Um, and I, I actually liked accounting. I was pretty good at it. Uh, I was in a really good program. If I had done that, I would have, um, I would have guaranteed myself a pretty stable career making good money. Um, and I probably would have reasonably enjoyed it, but it wouldn't have given me the flexibility, the autonomy, to have all these creative types of projects and side work. And I would have simply put, I would have had more uh, schedule rigidity. I wouldn't have had the ability to dictate, you know, the ebbs and flows of my life and my work as it connects with my family to the extent that I do now. So as I moved into the, the path of academia, that was the number one driving force behind that, frankly, is I knew I had all these, you know, uh, different passions and different interests and I looked at like, what could I do that would allow me to do everything that I want to do? And it was go on, get a PhD, be a professor. Um, professors are very stable jobs. They don't pay great, but they pay enough for you to be comfortable. Um, and, and I treat my, my uh, faculty position as kind of my home base, like the university is my home base, but I have enough flexibility and autonomy that I can kind of do whatever I want as long as I, you know, meet, meet the, the, the main requirements of what I'm doing at the university. But a lot of what they want me to do as a professor is to do these side things and to do the research and to do the consulting and to, to be engaged in creating this content and those sorts of things. So it's, it's kind of like, it, it just goes hand in hand and it's, it's been a really great fit. So living for myself, you know, I, I guess it's just knowing myself, connecting to myself, knowing what my interests and passions are, it took me a while to figure some of that out and then just trying to prioritize based on the needs of my family, the needs of the people I work with, um, you know, whether it's the team in my consulting business or the, the faculty that I work with at the university, um, the students that I work with. Um, I, I'm, I'm a, a, this may sound hokey, but I feel like I'm a, a, a pretty uh, purpose-driven person. You know, I, 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 I I feel like I need to find a lot of meaning and purpose in what I'm doing, or I'm just not going to do it. So if I, if I feel like I'm going down a path that's going to require me to do a bunch of things that are not going to drive joy and happiness and creativity and innovation and those sorts of things, then, you know, I have enough, I'm privileged enough to have the ability to decide to not do those things. Right. And I can just focus on what I want to do. 
And I think that kind of answers this next question, but I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more because you mentioned that living for yourself is difficult. And I think a lot of people listening might agree that how do you put yourself first? How do you know what is you're passionate about or what is your purpose and what does drive you? And so nowadays when you're making decisions on, do I really want to start this? Like, do I want to launch that magazine or do I want to do this other project or do I want to invest more time in my consulting practice? Or do I want to take a break and go on vacation? Like, how do you make those decisions? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, I, I mean, good question. I, I suppose I don't, I don't have like a, an answer that ties it up all neat with a bow. Um, but I, I think it's just that constant wrestle, you know, a continual dialogue with my wife, um, with my kids, understanding family needs, and then trying to, you know, figure out, you know, what, what I'm doing, what I'm passionate about, what I want to continue to do. Um, I'm a big believer in, in self-reflection. Um, I, I try to spend time, in self-reflective activities daily uh, to make sure that I am connected to, you know, what I'm doing. So I don't get so caught up in the grind of the day, you know, and, and just life that I kind of lose myself. Um, that's super easy to do. And I, I feel when I just do some basic things daily, just get into the routine of, of having some of those meditative practices, self-reflective practices, even simple things like going out and walking my dogs consistently daily, um, just giving me that opportunity to, to really reconnect to like what's most important right now. What do I need to be focusing on? Um, I, I, I am someone that tries to leverage opportunity. So, so when I see something like, like the magazine, for example, the calculus around that particular decision was, you know what, we've been producing a ton of content. Um, it's good content. It's been helpful. And when someone pitched the idea and they said, well, why don't we do this? And I thought about it. It didn't take me that long to think about it. I'm like, you know, I've done similar types of things in the past. I, I, I think we could do this. And it took just a little bit of investigation, you know, to figure out like what would be our online e-magazine platform that we would use? What are the associated costs? What are those sorts of things? Um, 
we figured, hey, let, let's try it. The worst thing that can happen is that we do it and it's not successful. Uh, and then we may have wasted a little bit of time doing this creative activity um, and we drop it, you know? But we still had fun doing it. We learned some stuff along the way. And if it didn't work, it didn't work and we just move on. I, I'm a big believer in just kind of experimenting and doing stuff like that. Like that. But, you know, it turned out great. The first issue I think was awesome. Um, I would encourage people to check it out. And it's generated a lot of interest. So I think, you know, I, I'm actually starting to feel like, you know, uh, a little overwhelmed with, you know, the people expressing interest in the submissions that are coming in and, you know, starting to look at like the, the issue that we're going to release in November, what's it going to look like, but that's exciting energy. And, and we're not locked into it though. You know, we, we could do this for several issues and then decide, eh, it's not really serving the purpose we thought it's not, we're not interested anymore. And, and we don't need to keep doing it just because we did it, you know, for a time. And so that's kind of my mentality as it comes to these sorts of things, experiment, try things out, especially when it's, especially when it fulfills your kind of, uh, creative juices, you know, like I, I had a lot of fun doing it. So even if, even if it never landed, even that first issue never landed, I had fun doing it and I learned a lot of stuff uh, going through the process. Um, so for me, that was a no brainer. Why not try it? Um, we're all stuck at home. You know, we're not, I love to travel. So normally in a, a normal summer, my family would be doing a lot more um, travel and that sort of stuff. And we're just not doing that. So I'm like, well, why not? Why not try to do this fun thing? And, uh, you know, I actually involved some of my kids in the process of the creativity and, and we had some fun with it. So, you know, I, I think that was fun. And same thing with the podcast. I'm just like, why not? Why not try this? And why not give it a whirl and see what happens? And, and you know, I, I figure when, you're, when you have energy behind something, you give it a try, um, you'll learn pretty quickly whether or not it's going to be something worth your time. And if it's not, you move on. Um, I, I've, I've done lots of things, you know, I feel like I have had a lot of successes. But for every success I've had, I've probably had at least a handful of failures, you know, that go along with it. And, but I, I'm not even sure I'd have to really think hard about what all those were because frankly, I don't dwell on them, you know, like it, they're all part of the process of learning and growing and, and they've gotten to me to where I'm at. And if I try something for a little while and it doesn't stick, that's fine. I'll move on. I'll, I'll, it'll feed into the next thing. And, and uh, I'm happy to do, to continue things that way. And that is such a powerful behavioral trait and perception of the world. I was talking about literally this exact same thing with someone yesterday about how you don't see problems and you don't see reasons not to do something more often than not, as long as they relate to your values, you see reasons for doing something and then you leverage risk along the way and you're comfortable with discomfort and you enjoy innovation and creativity. And so when an idea comes up, instead of looking for reasons not to do it, you look for reasons to do it and you look for ways to do it, which I think is so powerful. And it's very helpful as well to have that home base, like you mentioned. It's like, I have my priority, I have my home base, I'm always going to be secure. And so now let's go play, let's go outside, let's go see what we can create. That's so, I love and, that. And I acknowledge like that's, a huge position of privilege that I'm in, you know, uh, most people don't find themselves in that kind of situation. So they want to take on this entrepreneurial activity or whatever. And it's a big, huge risk. You know, I, I'm in a situation where I can dabble and I can try different 
things, creative things, entrepreneurial things. And I don't feel like there's actually that much risk, frankly, because, because I have this secure thing in the, in the background going on. Um, I acknowledge that privilege and, and I, I know that, you know, that's not going to work for everybody. Um, but for me, you know, that was a very, um, uh, that was a key part of the decision, you know, to why I went the path I did for my career. Well, I work with leaders and you do as well. And I work with a lot of people that are in career transitions. And the first thing that we need to work on is do your employees and do you feel safe? And if you don't feel safe, then you're diminishing the ability for engagement, for again, creativity, for satisfaction, for productivity. It's like, let's, instead of trying to figure out the next best thing, let's try to figure out how to make yourself great right now where you're at. And with entrepreneurs, you know, as you're saying that, like, yes, we have, I think myself included, there's a certain level of privilege that comes with having that level of safety, but it's also recognizing I need to go create some safety. I need to go, I need to go build a house that I'm going to live in for a little bit while I'm going to then, then after that, I'm going to go focus on a few other things like build the house next door, you know, build a yard, you know, <laughs> pave the driveway, <laughs> put a basketball hoop up, right? But first let's have a roof over our heads. Let's, let's do that first. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I think, you know, for anyone listening, you know, everyone's situation is different. Um, uh, we all have our unique family dynamics and contexts and career situations and everyone's world is a bit upended right now because of COVID. And, and I, I think, you know, I, I suspect kind of the general sense of, of people who listen to this podcast, you know, that we recognize it, it's just the fundamental nature of, of, of your listeners, I think, to recognize that everyone's journey is unique and individual. And as you mentioned earlier, if we can embrace the ambiguity and the complexities of life uh, and just lean into the moment, right? Step in, you know, take that step into the darkness. Uh, if we're willing to do that um, and, and at least try to stay true to ourselves, try to stay, you know, try to be authentic uh, to, to what, you know, we want for our lives, for our families, for our careers, um, then, then a, a lot of this stuff will work itself out. Um, there, and there's just no silver bullet. There's no easy answer. Um, everyone has to figure it out for themselves, you know, and I, I don't want to give, give the, um, impression that I think I have it all figured out. I certainly don't, you know, I, I think I've had a lot of successes in life, uh, which I'm grateful for. Um, but you know, I've, I'm fumbling through things each and every day, just like everyone else. And I have good days and bad days and sometimes things work and sometimes things don't. And, you know, like I said earlier, you know, for, I've had lots of, uh, accomplishments, but for every accomplishment, for every success, for every uh, award or acknowledgement that I receive, you know, there's at least a handful of failures that go along with it. Um, things where I've been, you know, I have a paper accepted into an academic journal. That's an exciting day, right? Um, but for every acceptance I get, I have a handful of rejection letters that come you know, and and so it's just it's just the nature of the beast. It's the way the world is, and and we I think, you know, as we learn to have a thick skin and be resilient in the face of you know, discouragement or you know whatever might make might come our way, then we're in a better you know position to leverage opportunity. From what you're saying, I think we see failure in a similar way where it's not failure; it's just progress and 
we'll take it as it comes and keep striving towards our goals. But outside of failures, what would you say are some of the roadblocks that you have faced throughout your career in life? Um, well, it's like, do you, do you remember that? Uh, do you remember Goonies when uh, Chunk gets caught by the, um, the Fratellis and they're going to put his hand into the blender and they're trying to make him talk. And they say they, they want him to tell him everything. Right. And he's like, okay, I'll talk. And he, he starts like all the way back to when he was a little kid. So when I, when you ask a question like that, part of me is thinking, okay, what, what do I really start with? You know, how far back do I go? Um, do I pull a chunk and start, you know, talking about when I was a kid? Um, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, you know, I think, I think uh, overall, you know, I grew up in a, a loving home, uh, but a poor home, um, you know, socioeconomically, uh, it was interesting because my parents were well educated, um, uh, but, but we didn't have very much money. So we were, we were very poor um, and, and things were always a struggle that way. And, and I, but I, but I always knew that I would go to college. Like that wasn't even a question in my mind. I just knew that I, you know, I did well in school as a kid and then I was going to go to college and I was going to make a life for myself. That was always just a known for me. Um, I put myself through college, you know, my parents didn't, weren't in a position to help out with that. So I got scholarships and I worked the entire time. I went through all of my degrees um, and, and paid my way, you know, as I, as I went. And of course that's challenging. And, and so in some ways it's that hurdle, but in another way it's a stepping stone because I, I got, a lot out of that life, you know, starting, you know, I remember starting to help with a paper out when I was 10 years old and always working, um, you know, as a teenager and up, you know, all the way through college. And so, you know, in terms of work ethic, in terms of um, just the approach I take to challenges in life, that was definitely influenced by, you know, my, my family and, and this, the situations we were in uh, growing up, um, you know, but I have to admit, like overall, I would say I haven't experienced a whole lot of obstacles. I mean, I'm a I'm a straight white dude, um, and so I don't have like any of those types of um, uh, challenges that others from different uh, backgrounds might have. I have a lot of that kind of built-in privilege to my life. Um, I have a beautiful family. We've been blessed to not have any like major um, tragedy befall our family. Um, my kids are healthy. They, you know, they're doing well, they're healthy and happy. And so, you know, I don't have any of those types of challenges that some families really do struggle with. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think overall everyone faces things. Uh, nobody's life is perfect. And, you know, there's emotional challenges, there's relational challenges that come up. Um, but ultimately, you know, we just try to face everything each and every day and do the best we can. You could have totally told that story in a different way, though. You could have said, I was held back when I was younger. I came from a very poor family with very limited resources. I, I you know, I had to work full time and I was tired and exhausted going to class. And, 
and I, you know, really felt like, and then when I, you know, submitted papers to, to get published, they kept getting rejected and no one seemed to really want me. So like the way that you tell your story as well, I think is a representation of the frames that you're viewing the world through, like the lenses that you, how you see the world and your perception and the way that you tackle problems and approach situations. And of course, the disclaimer of, hey, you know, I don't have to deal with a lot of the things people have dealt with, but it says a lot in terms of just how you've told your story, which I think is a symbol of potentially why you are where you are today and how you're living for yourself. Uh, well, thank you. Um, I, I hope that I have a, a healthy framing on things. Um, I suppose, you know, so, some days I, I'm, I'm more grounded and better aligned and in tune than others, um, like anyone else. And um, cer certainly my hope that I can find meaning and purpose in life and in work, you know, with my family each and every day. That's you know, kind of the driving goal that I have each day as I get up in the morning. Um, how can I serve my family? How can I, you know, help my colleagues? How can I help my students? Uh, how can I help organizations run, you know, be more effective and be more people-centric? You know, that's kind of the driving um, purpose behind what I do, uh, or at least what I try to do. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep keep pushing forward, keep trying to do that. Well, I've appreciated your time today, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Do you have any last bit of advice for everyone? Um, you know, er earlier on in the discussion, you you, you kind of joked about <clears throat> productivity, like how, how do I do what I do? Uh, how do I get stuff done? Um, and <clears throat> I'm not going to give you any advice on productivity. Um, because I mean, ultimately, I, I don't actually know. Like everyone's different, and you know, different styles and different approaches. Um, so, like, I, I don't have any like method, you know, that people can use to, to be more productive. Um, but you know, one of the things that I've tried to do uh, that I kind of learned, you know, I guess in in, in my teenage years, and it's kind of carried with me over time. Is you know, I try to be present with who I'm with and what I'm doing when I'm doing it um, and try to be focused on that thing. And I try to, you know, I, I, I just try to never procrastinate. So if, I, if I'm doing something, I know it needs to be done. I just do it. I work on it. And, and if I have, you know, something come to my mind about what should happen or what I should be doing, I just try to do it um, and, and try not to put it off. Um, and, to me, that's that's just been the, the most helpful thing for me uh, is is to just try to always be proactive. Uh, if I have a, an idea, at a minimum, you know, write it down so I can come back to it. But I try to not not think, oh, that's that'd be good for next week, you know. But like, hopefully, if I'm on top of stuff enough, when I have that idea come up, I can at least invest a little bit of time right then to be able to to flesh it out a little bit and and then see where that might take me. Um, I guess I've been blessed with the ability to focus. And so my ability to kind of shift from thing to thing quickly and to be able to focus on the task at hand has helped with my productivity uh, a lot. But ultimately, you know, I, I think just being present with what you're doing in the moment and with who you're working with uh, is really important. 
and if nothing else, you know, whether it helps with productivity or not, it certainly helps with relationships. It helps with, you know, just being, feeling more grounded and feeling more, um, you know, uh, consistent with your, your goals and, and just being happier in life. Uh, that's what I found. I love every single bit of that. And once again, that core filter is just coming out so strong. I think if we've planted some seeds and listeners today to see the world around them proactively and positively, I, I think we'll make, I think we've already made, and you've already made a big difference um, in the world other than all the other work you're doing. So thank you so much for joining us today. If our listeners do want to connect with you, do you want to listen to your show, read your magazine, follow you, hire you, whatever it is, become a, to join the, the Center of Social Justice, was it? Uh, so, social Impact. Social Impact, sorry. Uh, if yeah. that's what they would like to do, how do they do that? Um, yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place. Um, Jonathan H. Westover, if you search that, it'll come up. Um, not Kanye, just... Not, not Kanye Westbeard, um, but Jonathan H. Westover. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of... I have... I, fingers in different places of the internet, but that's the, like the one place you can go that will connect you out to other stuff. Um, if you want to go check out the, the consulting website, that's innovativehumancapital.com. Our podcast is on there as well as all the, the podcasting platforms. If you want to check out the human capital innovations podcast um, on the website too, there's just, you know, all the resources that we've been creating in addition to the magazine, other, other free resources that people can utilize. So, um, yeah, get connected with me. Look, check me out on LinkedIn. Um, check out the podcast. Um, and I'd love to have a discussion with you. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Everyone have a great day. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.